Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Do you hear that, Doug? I'm coming to London. Shut up and sit down, you big bald fuck. Conversations about collaboration, episode 72. Chaya Gutnick and Avi Hersenberg join me today to talk about the staggering amount of choice in the low-code, no-code world, Apple, smart suite, and supply chains. Let's get it on. Kaya and Avi, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. good. Yeah. Uh, let's just get the basics out of the way first. Uh, Kaya, where are you located? I'm in Florida. And Avi? I'm actually in New Jersey. Joyzy, big Joyzy. Okay. So for this podcast, we've got kind of a group party line going. And I thought that we'd just do some quick introductions and then we can role play. Right. So, Avi, uh, in a nutshell, what do you do? Well, I'm a, I'm getting stuck on this. <laughs> um, well, I am, well, currently I'm the head of partnerships at SmartSuite, where um, we work with solution partners, affiliate partners to bring no-code solutions to market. Um, and I'm the former co-founder and currently investor at Skype, which is an actual software implementation agency, helping clients set up no-code solutions. And I take it you've heard of this agency, Kaya? Yes, I have. <laughs> and what do you do there? So we help businesses set up off-the-shelf and low-code software. So if you're either coming from a software that's really not working for you guys, we can help fix it. If you are needing a new piece of technology, we'll help you find the right one and set it up correctly. What we find kind of today is that there are just so many choices and so much flexibility that that's become really hard for people to do on their own. And there's this new wave of people looking for help with that. And that's where we come in. Come in. I completely agree with your assessment in chapter four of my new book. I tried to lay out the different categories of no code, low code tools. And it was really hard because A, there's so many and B, they overlap. It wasn't like you could just say Microsoft Word is for writing a Word doc. You wouldn't really do a presentation out of it. You wouldn't put an Excel spreadsheet in PowerPoint, right? And if you had a ton of data, you'd use Access. You really wouldn't use even Excel. Um, but it was really tough to do that with the no-code, low-code tools. Um, it seems like they're flexible by design. Um, yeah. has, has it always been that way, Kaya, or has it actually gotten more so over the last, I don't know, five, seven years? It's definitely gotten more so. I mean, initially, I think people were starting to create tools. You know, there was Salesforce, there was HubSpot, right? Calendly. And if you look at them, they started out serving this one purpose, right? Like they were a CRM or they're a calendar scheduling tool. And of course, kind of they feel like as they want to grow and increase um, their revenue and customer base, they keep adding features and adding features, which keeps pulling them in, in more directions. So I think this has become extremely prevalent, you know, over the last, like you said, seven years, eight years, um, that every software is just trying to do more and more. And then not only that, there are these softwares who just want to be the one software that's going to do everything. And so, you know, that 
that brings along a whole new set of uh, flexibility. Yeah. Would you agree, Avi? Yeah, most definitely. That's actually like one of the biggest reasons why um, currently a lot of the no-code companies are taking the approach of working with solution providers such as Skive or many other um, solution providers. And, and that there's this whole emerging market and industry of freelancers and consulting practices that are strictly there to implement no-code solutions for clients. And it's exactly for the reason that Chaya described, which is, you know, the as the market is growing and more solutions are coming into play, the 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 way they're structuring things is a no-code solution where you can build anything. But the more the more the platform is structured in a way where you can build anything, you can also build nothing if you don't really know how to use it. So you can build anything, but you can build nothing, which is why these experts are coming into play to help clients um, kind of take this like, you know, open-ended market where you can build anything and actually build something that's structured to the client. Yeah. I know that it can be overwhelming for folks, particularly with this prevalence of choice. I don't know if either of you well, actually, Kai, I know you're a big reader. You ever read The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what was that stat with the jam experiment? It was something like they had 40 types and 4% of the people picked a jam. But then when they brought it down to six types, something like 40% of people bought it because they weren't overwhelmed with the number of choices. I don't know if my stats are right, but that seems in the ballpark. It seems like the same thing to some extent exists in this no-code world because a lot of these tools are really difficult to distinguish. And yeah, software as a service, you're not locked into a multi-year commitment. But uh, when we talked before, um, I think both of us mentioned vendor lock-in and it's you're just insane if you think, oh, I can just hit one button and magically export it from smart sheet, I'm sorry, smart suite to Airtable or something like that. Um, I mean, it's, it's a real thing, right? This overwhelming environment of choice. Yeah. And I think, I think not only is there an overwhelming choice in software so that if you're looking for a CRM, you know, you can look at at Pipedrive and HubSpot and Salesforce. There's also an overwhelming choice of ways to use the features, which is like a really new level of paradox of choice there, you know, where oh, do I want to have multiple pipelines, right? Just going with the CRM example. Do do I want to use custom fields like this? Or maybe I should use a status for this. Should I be using a status or a custom field? And so I think that's also a really newer layer of choice that's entered the marketplace. Anything to add, Abby? Yeah, no, I mean, I would just echo it. Chai is saying is is that not only is there like so much choice with vendors, but even when you choose a vendor, there's so much overwhelm with how to actually structure your environment and space and what features to use and how to use them. And so just double double layer of of choice overwhelm. And and that's really where consulting practices and freelancers are emerging to help people out with this whole no-code space. Okay. We're going to go to the role play segment of today's game show. And in this scenario, I am the CIO of a Fortune 50 multinational company. And we've had Salesforce for 10 years. It's it's bloated. People don't like it. They're confused. They keep adding stuff. Um, I'll throw this one out to Avi first. So no code's the way to go here, right? That's going to solve all my problems. 
Well, I mean, honestly, you'd think like I'm a total no code advocate and say always no code. There's there's a place for everything, but I would say that um, you know, the benefits of highlight, just to highlight a few key benefits for no code in a particular scenario like this, why a CAO would want to uh, look at a no code solution is number one, the, the ease and speed of build. So when you're uh, trying to develop a Salesforce environment for your company, I mean, just to deploy it, first of all, you have to bring on all your Salesforce architects and engineers to build it. I mean, Salesforce at this point is almost like building, you know, coding your your own software. I mean, we've worked with at Skive. I remember in, in my days at Skive, like we used to work with companies that were hundreds of thousands of dollars into Salesforce development and nothing to show for it. So it, it's the t- it's the resources spent on it. It's also the time. So you can spend eight to 10 months trying to build your first kind of demo environment and and then you realize the developers had no clue what you wanted or even just waiting those 8 months versus when you deploy a no code instance you know you you reach the same level of solution you build it within hours days maximum weeks and your costs are obviously you know associate you know if if you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on an 8 to 10 month timeline then you can imagine what those costs look like when when you're only spending hours, days, or weeks. That's just deploying it. Then when you come to actually using it, and let's say you realized you have to change something, instead of putting a ticket in and waiting for your Salesforce developer to get to it and actually change what you wanted, understand what you wanted, and make that change, you can just change it on your own. And so, you know, we've worked with CIOs at very large companies that can just, you know, the power that they felt with just being able to make the change themselves. Obviously, they would bring on a consultant to structure the entire space. But then if they wanted to change a specific field or a specific setting or a specific automation, they can just go ahead and do that on their own, not even ask anyone to do that. You know, I've worked with actually, you know, a, a, a bank that, you know, just just that's exactly what they told us was A, the speed to market and B, the fact that they can just, it, it was such an empowerment for them. They felt empowered that they can just make those changes and they didn't have to rely on their development team. And so that is why companies like Apple, for example, is relying on no-code solutions in their ops teams because they can just deploy it so quickly and so easily and they don't have to you know wait six to eight months from their dev team to build out a custom solution. Kaya, jump in here. Yeah, so I want to, I guess, bring to light the other side of this, not necessarily disagreeing with Avi, but I do think How can that, anyone disagree with Avi? Yeah, right? But, but really the other side of the spectrum, because everybody will have to figure out kind of where they're holding and based on that, what the right answer is for them. And so what we have found as the downside of low, of like low code, which everybody should be aware of, is that If you um, deploy a CRM, right, something that is built to be a CRM and only to be a CRM, it's going to be a lot more intuitive and easy to use than if you want to build a no-code solution as a CRM. So I think just people have to know that and balance what they need and what to use it, when to use it and when not to use it. So, you know, there is definitely a advantage to having everything in a no-code solution, because if you have sales and project management and all your ops and finance in a, in a low-code tool, there's a lot of advantage there. 
But depending on how companies are run and the people who are going to be working in the software, I think every company has to make a decision about which situations are right to use a really flexible, low-code tool and where is it right to buy a tool, you know, pay for a tool that does the one thing, you know, and connect those tools together? Yeah, I sort of paint this false dichotomy of using one or the other when, in fact, you can get a little bit pregnant. In my forthcoming book, there's a case study from a local ed tech startup here in Arizona where I live, a friend of mine, and they use Microsoft Dynamics um, CRM or C Dynamics 365. They keep changing it. It used to be Great Plains, whatever. It's their basically their um, SaaS-based CRM. And I don't know if either or both of you have heard of Power Apps. So yeah. they more or less built this app, no code, low code, but then placed it inside of one of their forms. So when they're talking to students about possibly applying to XYZ University, they don't have to go outside to a separate form. It all exists. It's consistently branded. And to the end user, if I took a job there off the street, okay, I know the answer because I wrote about this in my book, but I had no idea that this didn't ship with native or vanilla um, dynamics, or they spent a ton of money on consultants to customize it. So in a way, I feel like you can almost have the best of both worlds. Am I right on that, Kaya? You know, in software, I never think there's like, yes, or there's often not yes or no answers. And so I think some people, yes, can have the best of both worlds in, you know, certain situations where you can have the best of apps that are built for the thing and apps that are very flexible. Some businesses or situations, it really doesn't make sense. And it makes sense to go all in and just low code. And so I think a lot of things are really situational. I mean, it, you're, you'd have to tr get, try really hard to get me to say, you know, uh, a, a strong yes when it comes to a recommendation about software. You know how they say, like, the only thing that's certain is uncertainty, right? So, like, I feel like it's challenge a accepted, by the way. <laughs> okay, go for it. Go for it. I'm here for it. Well, I, I, so I go back to an experience I had as a college professor. We did these capstone projects. And I remember one summer, the, la the painting company that um, painted the inside of my home when I moved here, um, and I stayed in touch, the, the owner, and we played golf sometime. And I actually didn't completely embarrass myself and act like a jackass. And we stayed in touch. And then for the summer class, I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, we're looking for capstone projects. He said, oh, um, we've actually got a bit of a mess on our hands. So long story short, we wound up um, analyzing their data and the students made some recommendations, one of which was, dude, get a CRM. And we did this very brief demo of Salesforce and his eyes just glossed over because we're talking about a painting company. Yeah, everyone's got a phone and there's a mobile app that's great. But I mean, Avi, probably 95% of the functionality was just over this person's head so in hindsight, maybe another recommendation could have been, you know what, you can build a lightweight CRM using one of these tools. And if you ever get to a thousand people, you may decide that a, a Salesforce or a pipeline or something makes the most sense. Um, what do you think, Avi? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say, I would actually echo what China is, what China is saying, which is, I think there's a use case for both. I'll tell you personally, you know, when it comes to CRMs and managing my contacts and all that, 
I don't like putting it in a no-code solution. I like using a CRM built as a CRM, HubSpot, Pipedrive. I actually personally like love using HubSpot, okay. um, but you know, each to their own preference. I it, it, and it, personal now. The reason why I do that is because I believe that there are certain features that I won't necessarily achieve to the same level that I will achieve in a no-code solution. At the same time, what's an example? So I'll give you a, a great example, which is. Um, emailing directly from the CR from within the CRM to whoever you're talking to. And so while there are no code solutions that you could email from within it, or there are some solutions that you can kind of bring on some sort of extension or attachment, the the experience is just not as native and, and smooth as emailing from within a CRM because a CRM was built to communicate with your contacts. And so they basically built a whole, you know, Gmail within their CRM. It's just such a native experience that nothing will ever compare to it. So, right, so now, if I take over an account, I can see the other person's correspondence versus if it's exactly. sitting in the inbox, I go, I don't know what the hell this person told you. And the client gets pissed off and then they're no longer with me and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. So that's something that just, you'll never get to that level. At least right now on the market, there's nothing on the, that, that will reach that level in a no code perspective. Now, at the same time, there are downsides to using a sales, a CRM like that. For example, you know, what if you want to correlate your contacts and your projects? That means you somehow have to bring all your contacts and keep them updated into your no code solution where you're managing your projects. Now, you know, we're, we have this whole ecosystem of products, which is a complex setup, but that's, that's what, you know, like again, consultants and, and very savvy users are able to achieve where you can bring in Zapier or make and tie your CRM into your project management software or no code software and kind of bring an update context. But that becomes another another thing to maintain. That means you have to choose what data fields you want to bring in and you know, you may miss a data field, or that means that, you know, if someone's working on your project, they may miss a piece that a piece of communication that went on in the CRM since it's not correlated. So, you know, there, there are downsides to that. And many people will say, no, we actually like not using two products. We like having everything in one environment. We don't care that much about the communication and we'll use, I mean, there are workarounds. They're just not as native and a good experience as it, as within a, a native CRM. So that's really, you know, like, I mean, going back to your question is you're right. There are times that you're going to want to, you know, use a CRM and not a no code solution. And there are times that you're going to want to use a no code solution and not a CRM. And there are times you're going to want to marry both. Right. And that's, that's the power of, of this whole ecosystem of products where you can, you, you know, you can use a database a no-code database, and you can bring on top of that some sort of front-end portal like software, Pori, Stacker, NoLoco, Glide apps, Power apps that just pull the data and update the data in real time. And your user has a front-end application that looks like a web app that they'd never know that the back-end of that is not a database, but it's an actual no-code solution like SmartSuite or Airtable or, you know, the like, that's that's the power of this whole ecosystem. And really, I think one of the biggest things is the the no code ecosystem has to be an ecosystem, not just a single product. That's really how you get the best out of it. Kaya, jump in here. 
I mean, something something really stood stood out to me, but I already forgot your question. Do you want to remind me what? Oh, your it, it doesn't was matter. Just it's a free form discussion here. Because um, when at one point when Avi was speaking, you were smiling, which um, I'm not great at reading um, body language through Zoom, but even I know that that means something. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably laughing at all these conversations that we've had in the past and, and how they went down, you know, about using a CRM, um, you know, a native CRM versus um, an internal an internal software. Um, you know, Avi's very pro using a separate one. I'm very pro using it within the software. And so, you know, we have a lot of fun debating that. But what I what I was really thinking about as Avi was talking that I really think is important for people to know and understand is that a lot of times you look for a low-code software or even a CRM, you know, anything you're looking for. And you might say, okay, I need to be able to email my clients, you know, if you're looking for a CRM. And you might actually check the box. You're like, okay, this is doing what I need it to do. But what often happens is that it doesn't do the thing the way you need it done. And so when choosing and building your ecosystem, you need to make sure that the things are going to work the way you need them to do and not just get busy checking it off your checklist. And this is, again, where, where really consultants come in, where they're, they know these things and they're able to help you better understand instead of just saying, oh, does this do emailing? Yes, okay. But then does it actually do it the way you want it to or in a way that's intuitive or easy to use that people are actually going to do it? You know, maybe not. This is a fascinating discussion for me because I come from a background of implementing the COTS applications, ERP for the most part, mostly Lawson, which isn't even around anymore, but people saw a little bit of Oracle. And when we were faced with the challenge of not being able to do something that a company currently does with its legacy system or soon to be legacy system, then, well, this is the way the new system works. So if you don't like that, you can either change the software or change your process, but something has to change. And to state the obvious with no code, low code, I'm sure there are some things that it just can't do. But especially when you think about these third-party integrations, whether it's Zapier or Make or IFTT or Workato, or just, I mean, it, and they keep growing, um, it, it does seem like, um, to paraphrase you from before, Kai, everything is kind of contextual. I want to take you up on your challenge, though, about the definitive yes and no. And Avi, you mentioned before Apple. So all I know, you can do this, but I'm just going to throw something out there and you can tell me if I'm insane. So I, I would guess that to ship what in any given quarter, 50 to 70 million iPhones, never mind iPads and pods and watches and uh, you know whatever, MacBook Pros, you know, iMacs. Am I missing anything? The speakers, the home pods. What else is there? They you know they just retired the iPods. I think it was two months ago. Long Apple way. TV. Did you say Apple, Apple TV? TV? No, I didn't say Apple TV. Thank <laughs> you. And I think they're working on glasses. So I'm going to guess that, you know, because Tim Cook, before he was CEO, was the supply chain wizard and still really knows that stuff. I have to guess that under the hood, they're running you know, SAP or Oracle to manage the supply chain, right? They're not using Airtable, right? I assume I'm right there. I mean, could someone at Apple wake up one day and go, yeah, we're going to do it all no code, low code. To me, that's just, it's an extreme case, but I would argue that as powerful as I understand no code, low code to be, it just for certain things, yeah, you could probably build it. But if you're talking about, 
you know, tens of thousands of hours versus configuring an off-the-shelf supply chain management system that can handle that kind of volume. I don't know. Is am I insane in saying that's probably not the best application of no-code, low-code, Kai? So, if you're talking about, let's say, specifically Apple, who is a huge, huge company, then I agree with you that it absolutely makes sense for them to stick to an ERP. If you want to switch that, however, and say, okay, I have two um, tech product companies who are shipping items. One of them ships a thousand pieces a month and the other one ships a million pieces a month, we can all agree that the recommendations we're going to give to each of those companies are going to be very different. Where the one who's shipping a thousand pieces a month can likely be good in a much lower level of software than, you know, an ERP. They don't need that yet. And it probably doesn't make sense. So I think when you make like a specific situation recommendation, like, yes, I can say that Apple for sure should stick, you know, to their ERP, you know, but not necessarily anybody who's doing what Apple's doing at a different level should, you know, do that as well. That's kind of where the um, addendum goes. But yes, I can give you a hundred percent yes on that. So you got me. Nice. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like even though, and as I was researching the book, um, No Code, Load Code, I think starts in 2013 with a Forrester report, but before that it was visual programming, not the first time that marketers rebranded something. But going back to what you said, and being a former consultant or occasional consultant these days myself, you know, it, it still depends. And I know that's the cliched answer, right? Every time you ask a consultant a question... But there is some truth to that because the choices that we talked about before are borderline overwhelming now. I mean, there probably will be some consolidation. You know, I don't think that Notion and Airtable and um, you know, Smartsheet and Smart Suite are going anywhere. But who's to stop? You know, Google didn't they buy? Was it AppGyver or SAP? Um, there was another mm-hmm. one to do App Sheets or something. Because I agree, as big as Salesforce is. What's to stop them? And I know they have their own. Was it 2018? Was it lightning, no code, low code thing or whatever they call it? So even they're saying, yeah, we're a CRM, but we know, and particularly with COVID, Avi, I don't know if this is something that um, you've experienced. There are all these new applications that we need. Before COVID, we all worked in person for the most part, and we didn't need an app to track who has a desk today. But I just saw this comment or um, a cartoon from uh, Tom Fishburne on LinkedIn about hybrid versus real work, I, I can't do it justice, but long story short, you were coming in to be on Zoom. And it was just basically, why the hell did I come in? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, going back for a second to what you mentioned, I wanna actually point out a specific use case example, why for why Apple won't be able to use no code to run their supply chain. And the, I mean, the, the simple and most obvious one is the record limit. So no code solutions are still evolving. and. It, Today, there's a record limit. I mean, the best ones probably have, it's probably in the hundreds of thousands. Oh, really? You know, but there's a record. Now, that's a record limit per grouping, right? So like per solution or per base. In a workspace, you can have millions and millions, probably even tens of millions. But that means that if Apple tried running their supply chain on 
a, a product like SmartSuite or Airtable or something like that, they would have to create endless solutions and basically group every 50 or 100,000 products into one solution. That, that, that doesn't make sense. So they obviously have to use a big product. But what we do know is, and, and we know this for a fact, is that Apple and many other Fortune 100 companies are using no-code solutions within their operations teams and and th- and that's not meaning they're not running their entire infrastructure on it. But when an ops team needs to accomplish a specific task or a specific project over a duration of a few months, they just they're able to launch a quick no code solution to take care of that. Yeah, I think it's something like eighty of the top Fortune hundred or the Fortune hundred use Airtable specifically, and I I want to say half of the Fortune one thousand, and that's just one tool. So right. it's fascinating stuff. Um, I'll get you both out of here on this. I'll let you go first, Avi. What book are you currently reading? I'm currently reading, um, I'm actually reading a few books, but um, the one book I'm really like focused on right now is by Daniel Parsley. Um, Blanking on the name, I'm terrible with names. Oversubscribed. Oversubscribed by Daniel Parsley. Yes, very interested in just the dynamics of the market, how people want what others want versus people want um, what others want to sell. Interesting. How about you, Kaya? What are we reading these days? So I just started Priceless, The Myth of Fear Value. Someone had recommended it. Um, Oh, and the tagline is The Myth of Fear Value and How to Take Advantage of It. You know, so I'm always curious about the economy and capitalism and, you know, how people are pricing things and, you know, all that kind of thing. So I'm really excited to get into into that book. You know, I always argue, you know, people people are saying like, oh, price based on value, right? Like price based on the value that you're getting. And my counter to that is kind of, you know, so how should apples be priced? You know, like how should your grocery food be priced? Grocery food should be way more expensive in that case, right? Because you can't live without it. You literally can't live without it, you know? So there's kind of this uh, balance, I think, we need to find and and learn about. Have you ever heard of the diamond water paradox? No. Oh, I remember learning about it in grad school. But long story short, water is essentially free, yet we can't live without it. And this is going to tick off all the fiancés out there. But diamonds are incredibly valuable. But we can live without them, right? So it, it does kind of get to that, but really good stuff, Kai and Avi. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.